Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers for Blizzard Watch, and I've got not one but two co-hosts with me today. You know them both very well by now. First up, we've got the other author of Know Your Lore on the website, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to the Wonder Woman movie, so that basically it's been going okay, I guess, for There's once. There's a new trailer, and I haven't seen it yet. i got to watch it after we're done recording this. <laughs> you, you should watch it. I, yeah. A lot of my friends have... I think some of my friends are still a little leery because it's, you know, they don't know what it's going to be. But a lot of my friends watched it and were sort of like squealing on Twitter, so I, um, I'm, in, I'm cautiously optimistic. My sister optimistic. is freaking out and really wants to go see it, so we may make that a Sister Day thing, I don't know, um, when it actually comes out. Good question. Anyway, uh, other co-host, of course, he's got, he usually gives us regular details on the Shaman class on Blizzard Watch, but he also knows quite a bit about lore, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, better. My uh, my dog is not dying, so I'm Yay. happy. Like, turn, turns out she was just mostly being a whiny, whiny butt. So Sylvanas, right? made me hug my door dog a lot this week. Yeah, it was Sylvana. She hurt her back. And Aww. unfortunately, like I freak out because she's a beagle. And that's she's one of the things low that to the ground. she's low to the ground, but it, they're genetically pre predisposed to back issues. So I'm like freaking out like, oh, God, oh, God, she's never going to walk again. Ah. She's a beagle. And she's a beagle. Why did I think so, she was a basset? Uh, because Liz. Liz. Oh, because yeah, Liz but... has bassets. That's right. OK. No, and they look very similar. A, that's a picture of her thing, isn't it? It is With her sticking her tongue out. Yep. All but yeah, right. she's good now. Good. It's always a good day when. Somebody... <laughs> yeah, I, 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 my cat. People who would argue with that. Now I'm like, am I still using my cat? Are we still the cat and dog show? Um, I don't see, actually see an icon for you, Rossi. So I okay. There's there's no surprise cat face. Usually, usually for the people that are listening at home and can't see what I'm seeing, usually what happens on Skype is Rossi's icon is a very startled looking cat. And then Joe's icon is his beagle sticking her tongue out, doing the whole flap thing. Yeah. So I'm usually doing this show with a couple of animals. And that's not the case today, because like I said, Rossi, your icon's not showing up. Don't know why. Anyway. (laughs) We're not even a minute into the show, and we're already way off track. So let's get back on track. (laughs) This week, uh, Chronicle Volume 2 comes out on Tuesday, on the 14th. Um, We're recording this show on... What is today? The 11th? The 12th? 12th, I think. The 12th. Yeah, it is the 12th. Okay. Daylight savings time. Just, like, 
through everyone for a loop, probably, because I don't know why they decided to do this to us. Why did you decide to do this to us, federal government? Please stop. Just And, and why do, like, other governments do it? Like, I live in Canada. Why are we doing it? Just let time the nearest be. Answer I can, the nearest answer I can think is because we did it the year before. Let, let time be. <laughs> Just let time be. You know, Nosdormu has a lot to say on the whole, you know, merits of meddling with time. We really shouldn't be doing it. I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, so Chronicle, Volume 2, it comes out on Tuesday. Obviously, we will not be covering that this week because uh, we don't have the book in our hands, folks. So we'll... Despite daylight savings time, we cannot actually travel forward in time. No, we can't. Much as I would like to, we cannot. So uh, we will be seeing that on the next recorded show of Lorewatch. We will be doing a deep dive into Chronicle Volume 2. So just, you know, prepare yourselves for that. But to pass the time until then, we've got several emails from you guys, and I figured we'd go ahead and answer those, because why not? That seems to be a thing. Yeah? You guys don't mind, do you? Well, I mean, I love answering questions from my readers, because you guys come up with some weird stuff, which helps us come up with even weirder stuff, and I love it. It makes me happy. We only have three emails today, but each of these emails have multiple questions in them, and all of the questions were really... I mean, they were long, but they're really well thought out, and it was all stuff that I wanted to talk about, um, particularly this first email, which goes into Nighthold Raid spoilers, okay? So right out the gate, guys, if you haven't finished the Nighthold Raid, maybe come back and listen to this after you have. You can do the entire thing in LFR now. It's really not that difficult. Um, I would go finish it on Tuesday if you haven't done that, because Tuesdays, for whatever reason, the runs seem to go really smooth, really fast, really painless. Anyway, uh, so let's get to that. Our first email is from Varagon, who says, Hello, Lore Masters. Varagon here, warrior from the Dalaran server, Patreon backer, and frequent question asker. So today I have three questions, but before we get to start, I should openly warn, blatant Nighthold raid spoilers to follow. Okay, first question. We're just going to answer these one at a time. First question. In Elisan's pre-fight monologue, she tells the raid that she not only foresaw our coming, but also that in the three days given to her by Gul'dan to make her fateful decision, she spent that time peering into all possible futures and finding only one path where her people survived. However, at the end of the fight, a time echo appears and says something that has left me scratching my head. In all possible futures I scried, I did not foresee one in which you were victorious. Time eddies about you in fits and starts. Nothing is certain. If this timeline we are currently playing through is supposed to be the quote-unquote one-two-true timeline, how could she not see this future coming? Did Nazdormu giving up his power over time at the end of Cataclysm change the rules of the whole one-true timeline thing? Did entering an alternate timeline and bringing back an orc warlock as a souvenir mess up the timeline? And most of all, why does time act so strangely around our characters? Keep in mind that this is one question, but there are actually like several questions within this one scenario. So go. Um, well, I'm going to just flat out say if you I'm not like a huge fan of this writer, but he's written some interesting books. A guy named David Eddings. Uh, he wrote a book with a character named Sparhawk. Yes. And the character of Sparhawk was essentially called Anaka. He was, quote unquote, without destiny. And that meant you couldn't predict what he was going to do. Like, the gods were terrified of him because he could do anything and they couldn't they couldn't come up with a pre- predetermined counter for it. And that's us. That is what we have done throughout our his uh, the entire time we've been doing this stuff. We travel through time. We travel to alternate dimensions. And we, we in- ball- indiscriminately break the wings of butterflies. 
Uh, we bulk, uh, you know, we bulk godlike beings that really should be able to take us out no problem, and yet they're constantly having problems. If you go back to the to the Algalon fight, he says it much the same thing. You know, you <laughs> prevailed against cosmically calculated odds. I mean, he's got the Titans, you know, basically crunched the numbers on existence and and gave him every possible scenario, and yet he lost, and he didn't see it coming. It's much the same thing. Elisande is actually even working on the same power because Elisande is powered by the Eye of Amonthul. The Eye of Amonthul is powered by Amonthul, who is the guy who empowered Nosdormu in the first place. Elisande is probably the only being on Azeroth who might have access to something more powerful than Nosdormu himself in terms of time travel. And that's before he gave up his power, obviously. And it's the same thing. The Titan's orderliness basically works like a giant actuary table. It's essentially this is everything we could possibly foresee happening. It's not the case. It's not like literally that they see all all futures. They see everything they can possibly conceive of, and we casually disregard what they can possibly conceive of and do it anyway. And you see that throughout the game. It's happened over and over again. Um, the whole thing with the infinite dragonflight. The reason that we stopped them was because we went and did the impossible and closed the time loop. We basically put Nosdarmu in his box. He, they, okay, now I've seen my death, which I already foresaw. Now I know it's you guys are going to be the ones who kill me because you just did. Okay, that's great. So, yeah, that would be what I would say. I mean, not only that, but I mean, we also have that the whole Warlords of Draenor thing because that's a whole alternate timeline dimension thing that's still open and still attached to Azeroth that happened conveniently after Norsdamu was put back into his box and then gave up all of his, you know, worldly or super awesome timey-wimey stuff to the nth degree to help kill Deathwing. Like, it, we have tampered with time so much as players in that regard that I don't think anything around us can can be predicted because, like, like Rossi said, we don't play by the rules. We don't. And then everything we do has these massive consequences that we're just like, eh, it's okay now. Like we're we're good. Right? Like this is the immediate fix for the solution. We'll worry about the next things like next week. It's fine. I think the Gul'dan thing is a good point too. Um, I think Anne's talked about this before. Um, we were talking about Gul'dan a while back, and it's like this Gul'dan isn't Gul'dan. He's not the Gul'dan we know. He comes from another timeline, and we don't even know how different the Draenor we just came from is from the Draenor we originally met. You know what I mean? It's like because Chronicles coming out, and we've already seen some stuff that seems divergent from the Draenor we were just on. Yeah, so oh yeah, very wildly divergent. But we don't even know. I think the other thing to look at here, too, is that she was given three days by Gul'dan, and that was three days in which... How long were they behind that shield? 10,000 10, years. years. 10,000 yeah. years. That's 10,000 years of history that they didn't see, that she wasn't aware of, theoretically. None of them were aware of. Like, they knew that there were outsiders, kind of, sort of, but not really. Because well, yeah, they seem they seem to basically think like the entire world was destroyed and they didn't care right. enough to look outside. Right. You know? So maybe that kind of affected what she was looking at too. Was was you know? See, and I always kind of took it like they kind of understood what was out there, but didn't just straight up didn't care. Like, well, I mean, to a certain degree, when they first made the the barrier and they first made <laughs> the um the well the night well, it's pretty much blatantly stated that they you know the world was in chaos. They you know. The continents had been ripped. One continent had been ripped into four pieces and scattered across the world. They were sitting right on the edge of this enormous vortex that was sucking everything into it. I mean, they 
it took them a while to get past that. I mean, granted, they're elves. They have time to then – by the time that they got to a point where they could look around and the world had calmed down, they they turned inward. They set up the night well. They didn't need anything outside the dome. Why they would they care? They settled in for a very, very long night of night well and chill. Yes. <laughs> like 10,000 oh years worth of it. So let's let's just, you know, let's just come on over and we'll stare into the mystical vortex. Just... I mean, I feel it's oddly appropriate with Alessandra. If you've ever done one of the daily qu- or one of the weekly quests where you have to go to her personal quarters, that is a weird place. Like, yeah, I feel like and there's a gnome in there for some reason. Like, uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. Qu- is this like a Nighthold quest? Yeah, it's a Nighthold. It's a Nighthold quest where like, but it, so you, it's after like a raid you, quest. it's a raid quest, but it's a world quest type thing where you go and. There's an extra teleport thing. So if you haven't done the night hole yet, there's um, magical spheres that you can click that takes you to Elisand and then I, to I the very, very top. I have just done it on LFR, and I have a feeling this is not there on you, LFR. You can, you can do this in LFR, actually. Oh, you can? Yeah, it's just, it has to be uh, there. But when it's there, there's a third option that says Elisand's private quarters, and it takes you to a, a different part of the spire just outside of where her room is. And it is the whole raid group to go there. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's so it, it probably won't happen in Elfar. I know you can do it in Elfar. It probably won't happen unless it's like everybody wants to do that. But it's it's it is one of those weird scenes out of it, it is eyes <laughs> wide shut the elf version. And for some reason, there is a, a gnome. There is a single gnome on a bed there. So Illidan isn't a strange yes, set of quarters. In other words. That is correct. Yep. It seems to be a very much elf thing. I have no clue why. I just want to know where the gnome came from. Like, I really do. I just want to know where the gnome came from, of all things. Because, like, theoretically, there were no gnomes until we got there. Do you remember when they were getting ready to to move Dalaran? There was that one that was stuck in the wall? Yes. Yeah, okay. So it was probably an accident sort of like that. Just randomly (laughs) showed up. It was like, oh, Uh, elves. I don't know who you... Oh, you're going to be nice? Okay, well, I guess I'll stay put. I don't know. Yeah, it was just one of those weird, surreal moments where I'm just like... This is the most out of place thing in this entire raid. And I've been punching demons and elves for like hours. And there's a lone gnome. I don't know how to process this. I think, though, you know, part of it may be that like when Elisand was originally doing this scrying and trying to figure out the best course of action to take, she didn't take us into consideration because we weren't part of that consideration. Why would we be? We were from outside this thing. She didn't know us. She didn't know what we had done. She didn't know what we were capable of. So she didn't really see us coming because she just didn't take us into account when she was doing all this scrying. Why would she? This was before we even came to the Broken Isles. Um, this was this was when Gul'dan came to her. And Gul'dan wasn't even from this world. Gul'dan was from elsewhere. Gul'dan was part of that whole Burning Legion thing. Yeah, the original old Gul'dan was from another world. This Gul'dan's from another world again. Even worse. Like it's, a different reality. Like, there's no way to... probably couldn't foresee him either. So... No. At this point, she's just doing her best. She's just doing her best with what she has. And I, I, I'm kind of sad by that whole Elisan fight, because at the end of it, you know, when she's talking about it, and, you know, when she says that quote, the whole, in all possible futures I scried, I did not foresee one in which you were victorious and time eddies about you and fits and starts and nothing is certain. I, I like that idea because we are kind of other. We are so, so other, comparatively speaking, to any other world that the Titans have, you know, put together or, or dealt with. Because we're not just, we're not just Titan creations. We're like this weird evolution between Titan and Old God to a degree. We're kind of born of both. 
thanks to the curse of flesh. So it makes us this rogue element. And I think that as far as Nazdormu is concerned and that whole thing that happened at the end of Cataclysm, that Alex Straza was very, very blatant when she said, the age of mortals has begun. Basically, it's in our hands now. We can do what we like with it. And apparently what we like to do is we like to go to alternate realities. We like to mess things up. We like to come back with, you know, strange souvenirs that promptly open <laughs> portals, green vortexes in the sky to let a bunch of demons in. We, we, we do not make the best life decisions so far. Our track record the, is pretty terrible for the age the of first thing we did, right now. The, the first thing we did after Cataclysm was go to some isolated island that hadn't seen anybody in 10,000 years and blow, it and up. blow up its sacredest place. Yeah. After just... blowing up its second sacredest place first as a kind of an, an intro. I mean, it sort of just tracks with our, our like, how we do things. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. We're just, we're, this whole Age of Mortals thing, we really aren't doing the best of jobs, but... I'm going to just say it. The Horde needs to get a war chief who will chill the heck out. Yeah, that Just one seem... war chief who just chill out. I want Thrall to come back from retirement because I feel like that he could, like, steer... I feel like we need the dad back. <laughs> nah, I want... No, I want, no. I want Bane. Bane would be good, yeah. too. I would enjoy uh, Bane. Bane. Bane would have been my choice, too. I, I would enjoy... Um, like, Bane with Thrall in that advisory. Yeah, Bane can, Bane can be the war chief and, and Thrall can be Karen. Yeah. And he's constantly going, you know, this is how you do it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, later. I'll listen to you later. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that that would probably work. Anyway, okay, so second question here. In Mythic Nighthold, now keep in mind that I haven't done Mythic Nighthold, but I am familiar with it. Like, I, I read up on it and everything. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Uh, anyway, in Mythic Nighthold, upon defeating Gul'dan when Khadgar tries to put Illidan's soul back into his body, we are left to fight, quote-unquote, the demon within. Upon his defeat, he says that he will yet claim this type. Presumably he means Sargeras. Since this kind of talk implies that the demon inside Illidan isn't Sargeras, is this the demon that Illidan took into, took into himself when he became a demon hunter? Do we know which demon that is? Also, what does Sargeras want with Azeroth? To corrupt it? To take its powers as, as his own? Um, I, I feel like I should clarify this, because it, it was... Um, oh, where is it? I have the quote here. I have the quote queued up here. Um, when you kill him... When you kill the demon within, he says, how is it even possible? He will yet claim this titan. That's the exact quote, when you kill him. And when he says, he will yet claim this titan, it it, it very much implies that he's not talking about himself. Yeah, he, I figured he was talking about Sargeras. He's yeah. talking about yeah. Sargeras, which means that yeah. whatever that thing was, it wasn't Sargeras. So who went, Joe? Well, I mean, that's the question, is who knows how many demons Illidan has consumed or taking their power it could be any number of them it could be an amalgamation of them um and because i i've seen this fight and it really is an interesting encounter and there are that is an interesting moment um but i really just think that it is a an amalgamation of all of the what illidan has left that links him to the legion because let's not forget like yeah he's super powerful yeah he's uh super you know oh go fly a kite, Sargeras, I'm going to go do my own thing and ultimately overthrow you type thing. But the point is, he still accepted power from the Legion. He still... Uh, that's where some of his... I don't want to say majesty, but where, where some of that comes from. And so there's always going to be that link back. And I think that this was just sort of the amalgamation of all the things that he had consumed uh, that linked him to the Legion. Because when he... After the fight, he's... I don't, I don't want to say diminished. He's smaller. 
but he he's a lot smaller than he was prior <laughs> and our prior our prior interactions with him. He's not this big hulking monstrosity that he used to be. So I have he's a theory. slightly closer to, to, to normal human size. I have a theory too, but I want to hear Anne's first. I have a theory. Okay. Illidan, the way that Illidan was created wasn't at all like how current present day demon hunters are created. That was something that Illidan came up with like mm-hmm. after he had already become a demon hunter. So he didn't he didn't do that whole ritual thing where he was like, oh, I'm going to fight my inner demon and all that other stuff. Because the way that it works with regular demon hunters is they they fight whatever demon they ha- ha- that, that drove them to this path of vengeance, right? Um, so in the Illidan novel, for instance, the main character, he's fighting a fell stalker that killed like his family. Um, it was the one that kind of set him on this path. That was the thing that he had to confront. Illidan didn't have to do that. What Illidan did, and the way that he got all demony in the first place, was he absorbed the powers of the skull of Gul'dan, like the original Gul'dan, not not the yeah. strange alternate reality. Gul- one. Gul'dan 1.0. Yeah. So I'm wondering, was that was that 1.0 whispering? It's possible. I mean, it would, he would arguably potentially be the strongest, right, yeah. out of anything. So it is entirely possible. And it also would make a little bit of sense if that was the case just by the nature of the fight, taking like the context one, of the fight. 1.0 was trying to possess Illidan so that he could go ahead and kill 2.0, who was the inferior version. Like, I'm just wondering if we were seeing like like a a, a, con- a conflict between, it was like a war between Gul'dan. I don't know. Rossi, what do you think? I'm sorry. Oh, um, My oh, yeah. theory is based on the fact that it was Cadgar trying to put Illidan back. And Kagar is wielding Atiesh, great staff. Yes, of the he is. I did the Atiesh quest with a friend back in the day. I helped him get his Atiesh. Um, one of the things you had to do was go to Stratholm. Oh, yeah. When you got to Stratholm, a big old demon showed up named Atiesh. You pulled him out of the staff, and then you fought him to get the staff, mm-hmm. essentially. You needed to beat him into submission. Um, you've got Kagar wielding Atiesh. I don't recall him ever beating Atiesh into submission. Um, so do you but, think ATS was trying to like catch a ride? Why not? Or for that matter, That's who a good knows? Idea. What else does Atias do? Like, what is this demon? If you look at him, he's very much he's similar to a dreadlord, but he's not quite. He looks like Illidan, and he's the hand of Sargeras. That's his title. Yeah, he looks just Atiesh, like Illidan in that demon hand form. Hand of Sargeras. That that's ah. Uh, I'm going with that theory. That that that's a that good actually theory. That's, I think that's no. the most plausible. So if you've got this demon who is the hand of Sargeras, why wouldn't he fight to keep you from putting, you know, keep putting Illidan back into his body when Sargeras is the one who wants it? And he'd be living in the staff. So if Kagar's got the staff, he's carrying the demon around. Maybe the demon is the demon within Atiesh. So what not- if, and, and, and what if that was the reason why Kagar has was acting weirdish throughout an entire expansion? Like, what if that's the explanation for all that weird stuff that he said that. and did during Warlords of Draenor? Like, little little tiny influences from Atiesh. Yeah, I don't think or, it was that necessarily, but I, I think... He might be trying to find a way to, to shut the demon up. I don't know. Because, I mean, he is using that staff. And that staff... I don't... Here's the thing, too, is I don't know if the demon got into the staff when Sargeras was possessing Medivh, or if he's always been in the staff. I mean, his name is Atiesh. And the staff's name is Atiesh. Did he get named that because he was put in the staff by Sargeras? Or did Sargeras, you know, I don't know the actual history of Atiesh beyond the fact that Medivh was using it. Do you know what I mean? So I don't. Yeah, I mean, and even 
and even then like like you remember you remember on the regular show rossi that that somebody asked us you know would we want to see like a coffee table book of various things this is one of those things that i'd like to see a coffee table book about like the explanations behind the various weapons yeah i mean i'd I'd also like to know it says here I mean, looking it up on Wikipedia, it says it was passed down to the you know, line of guardians of Terrace Fall up to and including Medivh. And it's like, who passed it down? Because it's obviously not the staff that uh, Adrian was using because you can get that staff. But here it says, too, and I thought I was looking it up as well. I thought it was interesting. It says it was forged from the Seed of Hate. So wh- what Seed of Hate? Is this something that maybe Sargeras sent down to the, you know, Azeroth way long ago and just happened to be come across by, you know, mages of the Tor and decided yeah. oh this thing is super magical we should shove this in a stick yeah there's a lot of stuff going on here we don't know yet so such a good idea though i like that idea <laughs> yeah Except i, I the, definitely yep. think that it's it's interesting okay. but there's a lot it could be a lot of things but anyway yeah that's that, there's my guess that's my theory all right um as far as the other part of that question what does sargeras want with azeroth to corrupt it to take its powers as his own um we know that he wants to stop it from becoming a void titan and presumably he's kind of like infatuated with it yeah there's a there's a thing with the uh, scepter of sargeras dialogue that indicates that he's he's got a crush on azeroth he, he has a concept so this whole invasion is basically the the Burning Legion demonic equivalent of handing over the slip of paper that says, "Do you like? I like you. Do you like me? Check yes or no." I have burned the universe <laughs> in your name. Do you like me? Yeah. Check yes or no. <laughs> Sargeras, just make a paper thing and go like open, close, open, close, open, close, and then you, you'll, you'll find out. He's a cootie catcher. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so uh, third question here. When the Titans were imbuing the Keepers with their power, Kazgroth gave his mastery of earth and forging to Arcadus. Later, when Sargeras was about to kill his brethren, Norganon sent each of their spirits off into the nether, where they were eventually slammed into the Keepers they empowered. Given that we unceremoniously murdered the heck out of Arcadus back in Vanilla, does that mean that we also killed Kazgaroth? He didn't give his powers to any of the other Keepers, after all. Also, as an aside, am I the only one that finds it wildly amusing that Chronicle made Arcadus such an important figure, given how easily, early, and anticlimactically he and Iron Anya are killed in-game? Love the podcast, love the shows, and love being able to help make them happen with Patreon. Keep up the good work and keep watching that lore. Thank you. Um, so, Arcadus, thoughts, you guys? I've actually written a bit, a good deal about Arcadus because I was doing that whole, like, you know, War of the Titan forged thing back in, in a while back. And I'm not so convinced that we have actually killed any of the Keepers, mm-hmm. including Helia. Yep. Um, yeah. There's, first off, they're not made of flesh. Uh, you know, Arcadus, Arcadus's power is over rock and stone because he was given this power by Kazgaroth before Kazgaroth ever inhabited him. And it's pretty substantial. The Arcadus we fought didn't have to be Arcadus at all. He could have just animated a statue and sent it at us. He might still be like in a whole under level below that currently, you know, dreaming his titany dreams. Isn't that we, kind of exactly how the encounter went anyway? Well, there's a big statue there and you do a thing, a ritual. And, and you know, it turns, eventually, yeah. yeah. A statue comes out and starts pounding you. That statue certainly looked like Arcadus, but it doesn't mean it was. And it doesn't, for that matter, mean that it, you know, Arcadus could just use another statue. You know, who knows? The guy, this is a dude who was so powerful like, that he made a lot of the artifacts we've got now. Like, the, the artifact weapons we're using, Arcadus forged several of them. Um, he's not, this. he wasn't messing around. I, I With a lot of the Keepers, it's, it's debatable how dead they actually are. Like, I honestly, 
I would not be surprised to see Logan pop up again. I wouldn't be surprised to see any of them pop up again. You could rip out Rodin's heart and he kept going with his heart torn out. You know, I mean, Lee Shen was, I don't know if he ate it or was wearing it or what. I forget how it worked, but the dude pulled it out and, you know, Rodin treated this as like, yeah, I, I got a, I got a, an ouchie. My heart's he, gone, he but it's fine. something to it where it was him because basically what you took to, what you took to Rathion was the heart of the Thunder King. Yes, and that was basically so, from Li Shen. So, so Li Shen popped it out of Raden and popped it into him. So like maybe he had a little door on his chest. I don't know. Well, to keep in mind too that Li Shen himself was also a construct. Yeah, that's the problem when you're dealing with these constructs is they can do stuff like you if know give themselves an. Then, then was it organic heart? Did Rathian? Oh, and I mean, it was if, a black dragon. So if it was a big rock, he could probably eat it anyway. Uh, Earth and stones are thing. But I mean, also I mean, calling it a heart, it, it that could just be a term. For for it right like we've seen titan technology maybe it was a rock we've... and he stuck it himself and then he got you know, hit with curse or, and it turned into or maybe it was like the discs of an organon maybe it was just a, a, an information something that that held all that information that coding inside of it that was just part of the bean and it was called like the heart or we referred to it as the heart because we just happened to take it out of the chest i, yeah, I know, know that the dungeons way that, the way the and when reacted the thing it probably looked pretty or hardy yeah it sounds like it looked pretty it looked like dragon little dragon just straight up taking a bite out of this gross but thing. i mean i know that dungeons and raids do things in certain ways when you you see the new version of a dungeon but i straight up murdered the maiden of was maiden of purity is that what she called the one in carazon yep and she's maiden back virtue. again no, maiden virtue. Virtue. Yeah. Maiden virtue i straight up murdered her back in bc killed her dead then you 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 know and yet she's back you know what i mean like and there's like She's a little more messed up than before, but she's back. She's yeah. kind of changed uh, so, her tactics a little bit, but she's still there, yeah. So it's entirely possible that constructs don't die that way. Like, you you can destroy them, obviously, because they you know they've been, they were fighting a war. It's Odin a lost his... Theoretically, just by virtue of the word, a construct should be able to be rebuilt. Yeah, you, you reconstruct it or what have you. So we don't know. I, honestly, in terms of Arcadis as a character... I honestly, one of the things I love about, about, um, oh God, I can't say, Uldamon, is that it is a like level 30 something dungeon that has all this important lore information that comes back still to this day. I think that's great. Um, I wish more of that stuff had come back. Like, I I would love it if we. I remember doing that dungeon way back in vanilla, and I was absolutely fascinated with the discs. Particularly mm-hmm. when you took them all the way to the entrance of Oldham, but you couldn't actually get into Oldham. And I was like, what's there? This is a big old mystery. This is a really cool big old mystery. And I'm only level like 30 or whatever it was. You could barely tension. even get up. You could barely even get up to the thing to turn the quest in yeah, because there were like level 40 something elites wandering yeah. around. You had to ride you through the desert and you were like level I was level 37 when I did this, when I turned it in. Yeah. So I had to ride through the desert where every, like the, the Scorpid mod started at level 42 and went up from there. And then you get there and there's these elite level 40 something giants wandering around and you're like, I got to get around them. And you finally weaved your way around, turned in the quest and you turned in the quest fast because you would get killed. Like they I were going to come over and kill you. a good place to hide and do it. Like there was a, there was a place, if you came in from like the backside of that particular ridge that was, I don't think it's even there by the entrance anymore, but there used to be a little ridge that kind of led up to the whole blocked off entrance to Oldham. Um, it's there, but they blew open the door, so it's not, yeah, you can't you, get to you it. Could kinda, yeah, you could kind of duck in there and hide behind and mostly avoid aggro, and, and 
but yeah it was turn in the quest real quick and then screenshot as fast as you can to get all of the information that it was telling you because it had information for you yeah quite a bit and you were like click 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 oh god die. oh god giants but yeah um arcadis though is a fascinating character he's one of the ones that came it was him uh tear and Ironaya came down together and keep in mind this the sundering hadn't happened yet so it was all kalimdor at the time they're the ones that came down and they they got as far as tear's hand before Loken sent two Chithraxi, one of whom is Zakajaz, and the other one I can't remember his name, but he's the one that basically created uh, Zulgarab by dying there. And the two of them attacked Tyr and the others. The others? No, it's not Hakkar. I forget what his name is, but it's involved with the dagger. Right. But uh, you, you, they, they got there, and there's this big fight, and it's all very important. And it's basically Arcadis is the reason that humanity and dwarves and gnomes exist uh, in the Eastern Kingdoms, because he's the one that set up, like, he, he's the one that assigned the humans afterwards. They were like, we want to stay in, because the, the, they, they were like at Vrykul. And they were like, we want to stay in Guard Tier. So he set up, he built Tier's tomb. Was this, That's was all this an artifact flying stuff? Yeah, it's it, you one? see it in the uh, the Shadow Priest one, the okay. Warrior one, the Arms Warrior one, and more Shadow Priest stuff gives you, and it's also in Chronicle to a degree. Okay, like I some need stuff. to, obviously, I need to level my Shadow Priest, so... <laughs> Yeah, the dagger I'll just stuff. Just add that to the list of alts that I'm leveling. Do that because I want to see this all. stuff firsthand. Yeah, the dagger stuff tells you a lot. It's really cool. As much as I don't want to play a shadow priest, the dagger stuff is really cool. Okay, Joe, do you have anything? No, I mean you guys pretty much covered it. The only thing that I can think of too is that a non-lore side of it is I think that the whole thing with Arcadis in the beginning was before they really figured out what they were going to do now. So there's there's going there's going to be a little bit of weirdness there because like yeah, we we were able to take them down at level 30 and that may seem oh. a little weird considering we're or 40 within that range and that may seem a little weird now that we're, you know, taking on the same things at like 80, 90, 100 and so much higher than that that it, Yeah, but you have to remember too that level isn't a, it's a game mechanic. It's not something that your character knows by looking that he Yeah, I was actually I was gonna say that too. <laughs> where I understand that that's not a function, but it's also one of those things where I can understand where this seems out of place to players as a result of that. Is what I'm saying. Well, and you have a valid point there because when these storylines were for, I mean, we go in and we talk about you know what it was like in vanilla to do these quests and how we're like, oh, it's a big mystery or whatever. When they were writing these things initially, it was you know 10, 15 years ago, however long ago it was when they came up with these storylines. This was before Chronicle. This was way before Chronicle. And oh, yeah. And this they, was before they actually sat down and reordered yeah, everything and figured they, out what they wanted to do. They don't have, like, a big map of where they want to go. That's not, that's not how they write here. Usually what they do is they take elements from things that have come before and go, okay, how can we kind of, like, what can we bring in here to, like, further the story? What kind of loose threads do we have hanging here? That was one of those loose threads that they had hanging there. Um, sometimes those loose threads are picked up, and sometimes they're just kind of ignored. Um, we we actually just had a we just had a a question about that. I think uh, a f- three or four episodes ago, where it was our favorite unfinished storylines or yeah. storylines that didn't go anywhere. Yeah, that that's the same thing. That's the same thing that feeds into those. So it's yeah, like there was that there's a quest back in Wetlands. You guys remember it? The one where you first find out about like a Titan construct thing appears in. The oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. And they, I think they did something with it 
in Cataclysm, like they continued it a bit, but I haven't, I didn't do the wetlands in Cataclysm, so I don't know what happened there. But you found it, and this Titan figure shows up and is like, you know, this thing's broken. Don't don't mess with it. This thing's broken. It, a warning, warning. And you know, I forget who was even the guy you brought it to. It might even have been Braun back then. But there's like a whole, what is this thing? So yeah, there was lots of stuff like that came out back in the day, and they didn't they didn't have a clear answer what they were going to do with it. So, like yeah. back then, Ungoro didn't even have any Titan stuff. Ungoro had like the implication. The of crystal them, pylon. Yeah. The, yeah. The pylons and everything were kind of like there was an implication that there was something bigger going on there, and they did refer to Ungoro as like the petri dish of the Titans or whatever. But we didn't really know what that. The meant. Godlands. Yeah. The Godlands. Yeah, we didn't know what yeah. that meant, and I don't think that anybody that was currently writing the game really knew what that meant. It was just. And one we of those didn't. And it didn't really get touched again until Sholazar was a thing, really, right? right like, until and then that's when it started. And that's when it started being fleshed out. All of a sudden, and it's not a bad way gate. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a bad thing. It's just that sometimes there are going to be these things like Arcadus that um, get fit back into the puzzle later on, where it's like, like Rossi said, back then it was this really, really cool lore-heavy stuff that you were doing very early on and made you feel like an epic adventurer in the game world. It did what it was supposed to do, and then it kind of dropped for a while and then it got picked back up later. And now when they're reordering everything, they're like, okay, well here's how we need to slot this back in kind of sort of, here's where this makes sense to fit it all in. And, and we see some of that now, I mean, for, for all it is, and I'm, this is not a, a knock against them or a knock against them or anything like that. They piece together things too in their own harebrained schemes. Like we do. The only difference is when they write it, it becomes canon. Yeah. So, you know, when you say that Arcadus, him and Iron Anya, they're killed so anticlimactically or whatever. Well, that was back then. That was before they even developed the lore to that point. So you Trust me, have to Iron keep Aya, that in mind. Iron Aya was not an easy fight the first time you walked oh, in. No. Oh, no, she was oh, not. She wiped the floor with my group a couple times. <laughs> I, I remember doing... Don't put the um, stick in... Because Uldamon was actually a higher level dungeon than it is now, too. It was... Um, I want to say it was like level... It was around yeah. Scarlet Monastery level. Yeah, 38, like could, 36, 30. I remember going, I actually did Scarlet Monastery first, and then I did Oldemon. And I think I was like level 40 when I first ran Oldemon. And I was tanking it, and it was not, that was not an easy dungeon to tank, because it was just, those, the fights were, the they were hard. The attacks were brutal. Yeah, but the, the, the Iron Eye fight was really hard, because she just, you know, she came out and just stomped on you. Yeah. Like it was, it was not an easy fight. So yeah, at but the it time, was so cool visually speaking, because when you put the stick in the little city and it did the whole beams of light, thing, it was, it was very, yeah, it was throwback Indiana Jones, whatever you want to call it, but it looked really cool. It was awesome. <laughs> Come <laughs> on. I, I don't know anyone who didn't like the, the look of it. Yeah. But I knew, I knew a lot of groups who didn't like the fight. Yeah. Because yeah, fight, it was not easy. It was tough. It was tough. Okay, so our next email is from Fellfire Dots, who says, Greetings, Lore Watch. Fellfire Dots from Chogal here, and I have a few questions that I hope you can answer and speculate on. Okay, so the first one involves Nighthold. We were fighting Gul'dan the other day, and I noticed what he was saying before the fight. In the end, Death will inherit this world, and she will be waiting. Who is she? I'm going to answer that one real quick, because uh, there's a contingency here. He says this line, when you're there as a horde player. And he says it as part of his opening shtick when you arrive as Horde. And he's basically there taunting you. And what he says, he says, Have you forgotten your humiliation on the broken shore? How your mighty war chief was stuck in the belly like a helpless piglet? Will you die slowly as he did, consumed by fell corruption and squealing for a merciful end? Your pathetic Horde will fall to dust. In the end, death will inherit this world, and she will be waiting. 
the husk of Illidan will prove an ideal vestal for my masters, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the, in the end, death will inherit this world and she will be waiting. The obvious implication there is Sylvanas. Maybe. and Or whoever serves over the death sphere or the sphere of death as far as the, the cosmos goes, right? Because we don't I'm know. I'm thinking that since he's taunting you about war chiefs and being a horde player, he's talking about Sylvanas because she's very directly involved with this whole, you know, death to the living, blah, blah, blah. Rossi, have you done this fight as Alliance? Is a similar line done with this? or I haven't actually done the Goldon fight yet, no. Okay. okay. I mean, Alliance... Yeah, the Alliance side, he says, have you forgotten your humiliation on the Broken Shore? How your precious High King was bent and broken before me? Will you beg for your lives as he did, whimpering like some worthless dog? Your pathetic Alliance will fall to dust. Your new Boy King will bow down and serve me, as will all of you. That's what he says. Yeah, because the only other thing that I can think of, too, is that it's just the personification <laughs> of death in the standard way that it's been done for years in fantasy writing. And for whatever reason, uh, death is always personified as a she. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's it. Maybe that or maybe it is Sylvanas because, I mean, she Terry is Pratchett. unless I, you read Terry Pratchett. <laughs> I honestly think I think it's Sylvanas just because he mentioned Anduin. So it makes sense that if he mentioned you know. the correlation sure. is there and the implication there is that. Death will inherit the world, and Sylvanas will be there waiting for us to like raise us from the dead, and we'll all be dead. And it's gonna. Although be... he's trying to sow seeds of doubt. I mean, that would be interesting, though. I mean, to think about Azeroth being turned into like a death world, where like all life is all, all life, all life is wiped out, and uh, Sylvanas just comes along and goes, and you, and you, and you, and you, and now we live forever. Excellent, like. That would be an interesting implication. But again, he's also, like you said, taunting us. He's trying to get us to, you know, waver in self-doubt. He's trying to get a rise out of us. And for Horde players, that's, you know, trying to poke holes at our current war chief, really. Um, anyway, so the second question, conveniently enough, is about Sylvanas. Uh, second question. I am a big Sylvanas fan. The fight between her and Greymane was pretty awesome. What do you think Legion holds for Sylvanas? I'm thinking something to do with Alaria sacrificing our artifact weapons, and maybe she sacrifices herself and or her sister on Argus, all in order to stop the Legion. She's our new warchief, after all, so I don't think she will die. Thoughts? Yeah, because being a warchief totally immunizes you from death. Yeah. I know. Like It's it's not like we haven't gone Particularly through... Particularly on the Horde two, side of the three. spectrum, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I, they can kill anybody. Uh, don't don't think your favorite. Several kid. times over already yeah. with Legion. <laughs> uh, yeah, they can kill anybody. They killed some really big names this expansion. Don't don't think your favorite character is immune. Uh, as far as what's coming from Sylvanas uh, I, for her, I don't really know. I don't know if we'll see Alaria or not. I don't know if we, when they said we go to Argus, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means that it, there's going to be a fight set there in uh, the the tomb and we'll you know we'll see it that way i don't know if 7.3 will actually have us going to argus i don't know yet i don't I think that's what they said at blizzcon but you know sometimes it they get excited to be the implication was that we are going to go to argus now whether or not this is going to be like a planet we can explore or just like a sub zone kind of like the timeless isle where there's one area that we can kind of explore and that's about it yeah we i don't question not enough to really make a judgment on that i don't it might be a portal like the whole, um, oh my gosh, I forget the name of it. But, you know, uh, when you were doing Firelands and yeah, no, and there was that whole, you know, you go through the portal into the Firelands and you're trying to establish a base and all of that. And there's that big area. Mm -hmm. 
The Molten Front. Yeah, the Molten Front. It called. might it might just be a zone like the Molten Front, only it's Argus. Or yeah, it it's... might be something bigger than that, like an entire new zone, like a little mini Suramar or something that we have to mess around with. We don't know. We haven't heard anything about it. They've just hinted well, about yeah. it. The Timeless Island and Tanam were both pretty big. Yeah, so, you know, it could be on that scale. We don't really don't know. In terms of this, though, I mean, I don't expect her to die because I feel like they have mileage to get out of her yet. Um like I've said before, when I was talking about the, the, the various big three deaths and the Broken Shore, Varian's death felt awful, but his story was done. Like, you could make a case that Varian had done everything he needed to do. I don't um, think so, but... You could make a case for it, at I'm least. still you mad could say, about Varian. I'm going to go on the record and say, I'm still mad about Varian. <laughs> I don't think he should have died. But I, I, I get where Rossi's coming from. I, you can, I think you could make that case, yeah. Was Vol'jin felt very much like a... To me, I don't want to say a bad death because there's no good way to have fell corruption rot you from the inside out. He didn't get to but, do anything ever. Yeah. V- Varian at least got to do things. He got to be the catalyst. Tyrion is the one that you're like, yeah, okay. That that dude, you're done. Go away. You, you, you've served death, your purpose. Tyrion's death was a, a very dramatic. The end on what was a very lengthy and a very involved storyline. Tyrion's storyline, we got to watch him progress and help him progress from this hermit stuck in the eastern plague lands you know eating maggot meat that we brought to him to this big hero that helped us bring down the lich king like he he had that entire span of progression and it was a joy to watch him and when he died was i sad yes but at the same time it felt like okay this is a good way for him to go varian Varian had been going back and forth so much with this whole dual nature. Is he is he really violent? Is it, you know is the Logosh taking over? You know has he mastered his rage? Da, 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 da. It felt like he still had places to go because he had just finally managed to master that thing. Yeah, but at least when he died, but at least when he died, he got to die jumping off of an airship, killing a Fell Reaver by himself. Taking he on the entirely himself, yeah, and, and he, he got to at least he do took stuff. a lot with him, yeah. He he did take Whereas, a lot with him, and he had a hero's death, which I appreciate. <laughs> I just I feel like that his story could have gone elsewhere, and it didn't get to. But Vol Vol'jin got stabbed Vol'jin in the back, and it just me. yeah. Because and I don't think they'll do that with Sylvanas. I think that they understand that they need to give Sylvanas a story before they kill her. Well, I not only that, they're gonna kill her. I don't think they're going to kill her, but not only that, we also have the the three Windrunner sisters available for the first time since okay. when? Yeah, like we have in in <coughs> there's something that that I've been waiting to see for years and years and years, and even with Sylvanas in the current state as the Banshee Queen, I want all three of them in a combat sequence. I want a cutscene with all three of them fighting against the Legion in some manner, and I want it to be an epic moment. Because that's what I want. Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The worst part about that awkward family reunion is going to be when, you know, Sylvanas and Varisa meet up again and Sylvanas is like, hello, Varisa. And Varisa is like, yeah, how you doing? I I didn't come live with you in the undead city. Yeah, I guess you're still upset about that. Just a tiny bit. And then Illyria is like, you work with orcs? Orcs? You know what would be interesting, though? Is Valeria and Varisa like die in the whole big coming conflict because you know darn don't well Sylvanas will race that, on them. Don't even I'm just that. saying. I'd sooner I'm just saying. Sylvanas die than Illyria. Illyria just I, got back, man. I would rather see it happen, but I could totally see them. I could I could totally see that happening and Sylvanas being like, well, you don't have a choice now, so raise. 
Hey, you sisters, don't we're together again. To Verisa, specifically because she has two kids that we've never seen in game before. She has Ronan's children, and we've never seen them in game. They've been referenced in well, the books. Illyria's got Arator. I mean, you know. And yeah, she's got Arator, but Arator's all grown up. The kids are not all grown up, and we've yeah. never seen them. We don't know what they're like, but we do know that they're kind of they're Ronan's legacy. I mean, it's Ronan and Verisa's kids. They're probably going to be big players I, at some point. I mean, I care about half of that equation. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, you guys are mean to Ronan, and there's no reason for it. Ronan in the game was fine. I liked Ronan. I have Ronan in the game was okay. Ronan. Ronan in the books made me angry. Ronan the, in the books made me, I don't know. I he had waffled. a raptor army. That's great. I want a raptor army. I kind of waffled just back me. and forth between, right? Whether have I you ever seen one of my raids? I have, a, I have a raptor army. Okay. Thank you. But I kind of waffled back and forth on whether or not I liked Ronan. But the more that I go back and reread those stories. I mean, okay, the raptor army book. Let's just pretend that one didn't exist. Um, I know stuff happened in Night of the Dragon, but I really don't like thinking about it all that much because it wasn't, it was, it was okay. However, Day of the Dragon, I, I liked Ronan in that because he was the Kirin Tor mage that really wasn't the typical Kirin Tor mage. He was the one that they really didn't like because he was so hot headed and he just kind of went off and did his own thing and was like, yeah, you guys do your thing in Dalaran, I'll be over here. And the whole reason that they brought him back and kind of chained him in as leader to the Karen Tor was because they were like, okay, we had all these years under Anginitis and all of these other mages who were like him, and they were very much about the rules and everything else, and that obviously didn't work because our city almost got destroyed. So we're going to just take a wild swing and stab in the dark here, and we'd like you to come back and lead and just, like, infuse the Karen Tor with some new ideas and things like that. And he was like... I don't want to do this, but nobody else is going to do this, so I guess I gotta. And that was how Ronan led the character. I'll say this much for Ronan. Whether or not you like him or hate him or whatever, he's very good in Tides of War. Yes, Which he is was. a good book in general. He was excellent in Ro Tides of War, and I liked, I mean, I just, I liked Ronan. I don't know. I liked him. I thought, I thought he was a cool character. I just, he wasn't, he wasn't one of those, like, uppity mages. He was, he was just this kind of, and he was funny. I don't know. Ronan had a sense of humor, and it wasn't the, the dad joke sense of humor that no. Kagar has. No, it wasn't. I mean, Kagar in the game currently can can tell a mean dad joke, but nevertheless, it's, you know. All right. But yeah, as far as Sylvanas, I, I do want to say this much. One thing I do think we're going to see is we are going to see at some point Sylvanas pulling some whack-ass whack rabbit out of her hat, because that's what she does. Um, You know, like the whole thing where she's just going to plague bomb everybody in Gilneas sort of thing. She'll pull something out of her hat. That is going to be like, I cannot believe that's your plan. Because we already saw that once in Legion. Her her plan was nuts. You know, the, the plan that got foiled, the Gen Greymane fight thing. That was a nutty. slave all of the Valkyr all at once. Yeah, yep. so there's going to be something incredibly crazy coming out of this person. I don't know. I don't think that we're going to see Sylvanas go anywhere. Going back to Vol'jin, though, I, I was really upset about Vol'jin. And that was because I spent all of Vanilla and Burning Crusade and wrath really waiting for Vol'jin to do something and then we took back the o the Echo Isles at the end of Cataclysm I was like cool Vol'jin actually gets to do stuff and he was really cool in those quests and I was like great we get to learn more about him and then we get into Mists of Pandaria and there's that whole storyline involving Vol'jin where he like he almost gets killed Garrosh like turns on him and then he gets his own novel and that was even 
that was great. That Volgen novel was fantastic, and if you haven't read it, you probably totally should. Um, and then he gets made war chief. At the end of it, I'm like, oh, this is great. We're going to finally see what Volgen is going to do as a leader, like in this leadership role. And then we get to Warlords, and the answer to that is nothing, but he'll show up in a cutscene and at Tanan at the very end. And then we lose him entirely. We never got to see what he would do as a war chief. The answer to that was put us in charge, and that was it. So, yeah, I'm still upset about Volgen, and I'm just going to go on the record saying that. And we should probably move on because we've, like, sidetracked enough here. <laughs> All right. So our, our last email here is uh, – it doesn't actually have a name on it, or if it did, I missed it when I copied it over, and I apologize. Anyway, this one has two questions. Uh, we'll answer these real quick here because we are running out of time. First first question says, hello, Lorewatch. Big fan of the podcast. Been listening to it for over 10,000 years. That's a really long time. And eagerly awaiting my own copy of Chronicle Volume 2. So are we. My questions are, first, how is it that elementals evolve from inorganic entities into creatures of flesh and blood, as is the case with Dragonkin? The dragons are apparently natural, evidently without influence from the curse of flesh. Is their evolution influenced by the greater forces like arcane light, fell void? I don't think we can actually argue that they're not influenced by the curse of flesh. Yeah, we, we don't can. really know. I'm I'm guessing but, that Galakron kind of well Galakron was kind of like a he was still flesh he was he just was a giant really part of flesh and gross but yeah they they have a thing that the the stone drakes and stuff that we you know run into in the in the deep home and the ones that you get run into in the throne of the four winds the yeah. wind drakes the theory is that they went to Azeroth at some point and started turning into proto drakes which is interesting because it's like devolution like because they the, the Titan uplifted dragons look like drakes again, but the proto drakes don't. So there's there's that weird there's that weirdness to it too. But that's similar to like trogs, isn't it? A little kind trogs, of, I yeah. think, yeah. Trogs are more primitive than the earthen or the dwarves or us. I don't I don't trogs are just weird. Didn't it? But I mean, I also mean, I think it's... go back to I'm going to go back to Oldman here. Didn't didn't it didn't the discs in Oldman say that some of them devolved into trogs and then some of like like round two of those of those constructs that were created made dwarves it was instead. A, it, well, no, they were actually the same ones according to Oldemon. Again, the Oldemon ones I've read them like a hundred times. Okay. The Oldemon ones are really weird because they they not only do they contradict everything we saw in Oldem and all that stuff, but we we've talked about how that stuff was faked by Loken. But they also kind of contradict themselves because at one point the uh, Oldemon discs say that Matrix entities are usually made just out of the materials of a planet, but these ones were made specifically out of rock and stone to make to more effectively shape the planet and that the destabilization sometimes led to dwarves and sometimes to trogs like they both came out of the same they were both earthen once and that one turned in some turned into trogs and some turned into dwarves so one and, of those quarries that they got the rock from bad or something yeah maybe they they didn't even know what the problem was. They just knew that some of them turned into trogs. And of course, we know that then trogs went over to like Pandaria and get turned into Brummels. But I'm not sure how. What we're we're I don't know what the the Mogu did to turn trogs into Brummels, and I don't want to think about it too much. But yeah, the the whole thing with dragons is we don't know where did the elementals get affected by the curse of flesh and turn into proto drakes, much the same way that earthen turned into dwarves. So are we and talking trogs. about like the stone dragon? Uh, I'm having deep home. Thank yeah. You. Yes. Uh, exactly. So the stone dragons came to Azeroth like, from the devolved proto drakes. Is that what you? That's that's the argument. I mean, I've seen okay. it like mentioned in in uh, Chronicle and a few other places, okay. but no one's like 100 percent on this. 
So there like was the, the, the drakes themselves were there. there were the wind ones, obviously, up in Vortex Pinnacle. Do the storm drakes in Stormheim, where do, where do you think those fall into that category? I'm curious. That's actually, I've always wondered that since we first saw them. That's yeah. like, they, mm, I don't know, man. Maybe I, I, I think it's a I think it's a day evolution of fire because fire and lightning are really really linked, especially if you've ever played a shaman, which you have. Fire and lightning are, for lack of a better term, brothers on the elemental sphere. Yeah, but um, there's also like a lot of wind beings use elemental use lightning as well. Yeah, sure. And that's one of the reasons I that Thunderon could get absorbed. Pinnacle, there's a lot of under yeah. going on So they there. they could be devolved from from they could be devolved or evolved from wind drakes for that matter. I'm just it's really because see a bunch of them in the halls of valor. Yeah. You know, you yeah. go to that one wing of Halls of Valor. Is that where they originated from? Was there? Maybe. I mean, who knows? For that matter, you know, that they could be conscious creations of Odin. Odin, he Maybe. didn't like the he didn't like the uh Maybe he the made aspects. his own bigger better. Yeah. Well, remember he didn't like the aspects. He no, didn't he like didn't. them getting empowered. Maybe he made his so, own. Yeah, he's like, "No, I'll show you dragons. You want to have big scaly elemental reptiles? I'll give you big scaly elemental and reptiles." They're going to have big chins. Yes, I like large chins. So I'm sad now, and I don't even know I can't why. Give it's like them I missed a flaming beard, but I can give them one hell of a chin. chin. It, it's like I missed the chance to meet someone with a chin, even better than my own. Like I could have <laughs> met him, but it didn't happen for some reason. Okay. Yeah. I Second question here says: If you could change which zones the elemental planes would have seeped through during Cataclysm, where would you put them? Personally, I would have found it more interesting if the Abyssal Maw showed up elsewhere, like, I don't know, maybe Thousand Needles or the Hinterlands, anywhere where you'd least expect the deep ocean to start flooding. So, out of all of the elemental planes, you know, we had Vortex Pinnacle down in Oldham, we had the Abyssal Maw over in, uh, well, it was kind of like off the coast of... It was in the ocean, so. area. Yeah, it was kind of off the coast of the Easter Kingdoms, anyway, but, and then, uh, you know, you had Deep Home was through the Maelstrom... Firelands was up in high jaw. Where would you have shifted those two if you were going to make a shift? I want Joe to go first. Yeah, I'm thinking because the only one that I really disagree with really is where it popped up was probably I'd have to say Firelands and where that came up because I mean it coming up in high jaw. I understand why story wise, but like it seemed like these would have been better to naturally occur where they had more of a natural affinity kind of if that made sense. And so probably closer to uh, where Black Rock Mountain is, not necessarily in the mountain because that's been done, but like starting to flood out into the surrounding area because it is already naturally volcanic. Here's the thing, though. You're right, and I'm agreeing with you. And one of the things that's interesting to me about this is that we know exactly where where, uh, Ragnaros was first summoned through, and it wasn't inside that mountain. It was the ruins of Thorason. It was. That's where he was first summoned through. Mm-hmm. That's why Thorason is destroyed, because he literally blew the whole place up. The only reason that Ironforge didn't get taken out is because the mountains were in the way. Yep. They they kept otherwise, you know, otherwise it, it would have been toast, it would have gone yeah. straight up. Yeah, it would have gone straight up through all those areas. The mountains shielded it. So yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it should have been like in, in the in the, the burning steps, like where the the ruins From of Thorason are. From a story standpoint though, yeah. it makes sense for it to no, be no. where it was because Ragnar was a deliberate attack. The war no, no, tree. I understand totally. We're just totally talking about other cool places to have it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I thought it would have been cool. I thought it would have been cool if, like, maybe that entire zone was transformed into, like, a molten version of itself. Like, Ragnaros is like, you know what? I've been here before. I blew this place up. Yeah, I'm going to rebuild it in my image. 
time to make things awesome and just light fire to things and have lava flowing everywhere. But the rest of them, I'm I'm kind of okay where they came up because it made sense, at least to me thematically, from an elemental point of view. I am of the opinion that the Abyssal Maw should have been in the Maelstrom. I, I feel like that would have logically been the place where it would have been because you're going underwater. As far as Deep Home goes, I feel like that entrance should have been elsewhere, more rocky located. But I'm not sure where that would be. And for me, I would almost put Deep Home over by Black Rock or Grim Batal, that kind of area. Because that's. No, Grim Batal no. was the last place that Deathwing was at. Oh, you got me here, Anne. What? Oh, no, you don't put it in Grim Batal. Where? is the largest concentration of Earth-aspected Titan creations. Ironforge. Put it in Ironforge. It's literally an old Ironforge. Like, you have to go down into old Ironforge. Ironforge, Oh, wait a minute. And that exploded. Hold on, because that would have have been cool, too, because you already have a ritual that was being done to commune with with the Earth itself. That could have been a wonderful excuse for how that got opened up over there. It's, well, you know, you see, your king did this whole thing where he's trying to talk with the earth, and, well, accidentally he opened up a a, a straight shot to, to Deep Home. Like, that would make a, yeah. that would have made a lot more Deathwing sense. Deathwing woke him up, and Deathwing came exploding out of the... And wouldn't that have made that whole, like, Council of Three Hammers even more awkward? Because it's like, well, I guess we can't fight over Ironforge, because it's not there. <laughs> Well, you, I think you'd probably want to leave half like Ironforge there, but have like this enormous the silver hole in the moon mountain. Yeah. yeah, like tear open the mountain, and there's oh. this giant hole, and like now Ironforge no is open to the there's world. There's just a vortex. Up yeah, there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just blow that whole thing out because Ironforge is much bigger than the part we see in game. Yeah. So you just blow up that whole. You have that whole the back uh, half airport, of the mountain yeah. just goes. Pfft. Yeah. And then it makes sense that he destroyed the bridge because it's right there. And the dam. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why did he destroy the dam in, in, like, the... He went from, you know, Dark Shore, and then he flew across the ocean and took out that bridge for no real reason other than, I hate bridges. <laughs> but this time it hey, makes it sense. because it's for a really cool right trailer, just saying. Oh, it's a... It's, as long as you don't listen to the, you know, Pain Agony bit, that's a great trailer to watch. And it would have been a great, great convenient spot for him, too, to go to, to Stormwind, because it was straight shot right north. Right there, straight shot. Um, I, yeah, gosh, that would have been really good. Because the thing is, is like the last time we heard anything from Deathwing prior to prior to Cataclysm was Night of the Dragon, the novel that I don't like to think about too much. At the very end of Night of the Dragon, he's talking to Sinestra. He's not yeah. he's not physically she's, there, all, yeah. but he's got that kind of connection with her, indicating that he's buried deep beneath the earth in that general area and that whole stretch from Grimbatal to Ironforge. Theoretically, that was connected at some point, wasn't it? Yeah, they had the uh, the whole underground thing going. They had, like, the quote-unquote deep roads, but not really because of the Dragon Age thing, but kind of sort of like that. Like See, I was just connected. playing Dragon Age 2, so yeah. I was just in the deep roads, so you're messing with my head. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, I think that's the only shift that I would have made, because, and again, you know, the Abyssal Maw, it, it's, it's all underwater, so it feels like, you know, having it under that vortex in the Maelstrom it just feels like that would be kind of like appropriate. Um, I don't think that I would move Vortex Pinnacle or any of the sky stuff, like sky, Skywall, any of that. I don't think I'd move any of that. 
Um, there really isn't that many. You know, does it matter where it is when it's an air thing? It's it's no. happening in the sky the somewhere. So it, yeah, leave it. You can just move wherever it wants. The yeah. fact that it kind of manifested outside of Oldham made sense because there was that whole thing going on with Alakir and the Tolvir. So you know that kind of direct confrontation. Again, yeah, from a story it, perspective, it made sense in the same way that Ragnaros popping up in Hyjal made sense, where it was like, yeah. okay, the fire elementals, they are directly attacking this one concentrated area, so they're going to burst the earth at that particular, you know, point on on the planet. Same thing goes for Vortex Pinnacle. They were really invested in this whole doomsday device, whatever thing, Titan technology, Tolvir, make them rock, make them not rock, you know, that kind of thing. Um it made sense for it made sense for the air elementals and Alakirinus to show up down there. Uh, Rossi, do you have anything else to add? No, I think we're good. Okay. Iron Forge though, can you even imagine what that would have been like? People would have freaked. Oh yeah. That would have been really cool. <laughs> Missed opportunities, folks. <laughs> That's alright though. Uh, okay, so that kind of wraps us up for emails and that also wraps us up for this show. Um, next time we come back, we will be discussing Chronicle Volume 2 because we will have had it and probably read it several times over by that point. Uh, anyway, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And if you still haven't gotten your hands on Chronicle and you want to do that before it comes out on Tuesday, if you're listening to the show today on, on Patreon, you could still get your copy by going to blizzardwatch.com slash chronicle2 and putting in a pre-order or just placing an order if the book is already out. Volume 2 is showcasing the history of Draenor as well as more into the history of Azeroth and the Dark Portal. It includes gorgeous art from Peter Lee, Alex Horley, Joseph LaCroix, and many others. And we will absolutely be talking about this on the next podcast. So again, if you want to get your copy, go to blizzardwatch.com slash chronicle2 and you'll be helping support the show in the process. Thank you guys very much for listening, and we will see you in two weeks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.